Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business? But Maybe you've tried, but you've not been able to do your first deal yet. You know, it's not your fault because it's really hard to do this on your own. Uh, now, have you considered working with a mentor? I mean, imagine working one-on-one -on -one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid the big mistakes, and then scale your portfolio. So if you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out our DealMaker Mentoring Program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor because you'll be working one-on-one -on -one with a full-time syndicator who will guide you to your first deal. So if you value mentorship, want to scale faster and avoid some of the big mistakes, then check out our mentoring program by going to themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. I'm going to do a, a shout out to a podcast reviewer, Super Long Challenges. That's the name. All right, guys, that's the name. Honestly, this podcast is great. You get to hear other people's stories and how or why they started. It makes you realize that you're able to do this as long as you put the time in and hard work in. That is exactly right. Thanks for that review. I appreciate it. Also want to shout out to Reed Starkey. He did a first deal. It was a big one, 236 units in Jacksonville, North Carolina, over 16 million. And he was actually working with our mentor. His name is Drew Whitson. So shout out to that team to make that happen. So let's get into the show here with our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? So let's talk about investing out of area, because I would say probably 80% of deal makers end up investing not in their backyard because it doesn't make any sense. What are some of the considerations to uh, invest out of area? Yeah. So if you're if you're looking to invest out of area, first of all, it's a, it's a smart idea. That said, you want to make sure you're looking out for the size of the property that you're picking up first and foremost. Uh, you got to think, if you're investing out of area and you can't easily drive to the property, and it, let's say it's a two flat, and let's let's just use an example. You live in Illinois, you buy in uh, Houston, Texas, a two flat. Think about the cost it's going to take to get you out there every time you want to go check on that property. It's not scalable enough, so you have to pay attention to those kind of metrics. Even if it's you know sub 100 units and it's too far away from your backyard. It's going to be tough to go and check on that. And it's not, it's never a hands off thing. Uh, you got to think when you're buying a smaller property, you have a different type of management company that's managing that asset. They're typically charging more on the front end and they're managing other assets other than yours. So you have to fight for their attention. So it's a given that you're going to have to go visit it. So, rule number one is if it is a smaller property, make sure you can drive to it. Well, I think what what you're saying is is scale is important in general. This is an, get another example, right? Because if you're if you're driving or flying for a, a duplex, is that really worth it? Versus, are you driving to maybe 300 units? Therefore, pick an area where you can go deep in. I mean, this is one of the mistakes we made uh, earlier on: is we bought properties all over the place, here, one there, one everywhere. They're all three, four hours away, and it was pretty cool. We were able to build our portfolio. But we quickly realized that it was not very scalable, meaning that we have different property managers, each providing different reports, different capabilities, then visiting the properties was a nightmare. So instead, find an area that you can go deep in. I think achieving scale is is definitely uh, a way to go. The other thing also is you really need your team on the ground. I mean, right? I mean, you're not going to be there. So you need someone, a property manager who will, you know, you can manage the asset. Therefore, don't go to a tiny podunk town where the closest property manager is uh, an hour away, right? Because what happens if they don't work out? Well, you can't find someone else to manage a property, right? I mean, we've had to replace property managers before. Yeah. 
you know, one of the biggest factors in the success of your asset is buying in a place where there is ample amount of staff available to run those sites. And so you obviously you want to, you want to have scale. That's, I think that's really important. Obviously I live in Scottsdale. We have assets in Atlanta. We bought one deal in Atlanta that was 130 units. And we're like, that's not really that big. We need to go and grab another one next to it so that we can have efficiencies in the operation. So we did right away. We bit boom, boom, back to back. Now we have four. That is super important if you're going to go that far away. Uh, but then we're also picking markets where there's not a slim labor pool, because if those labor pools are small, then the operation doesn't work. And you sometimes find that out the hard way. Like I found out in Oklahoma City, where we thought it was a great labor pool. We go in, it wasn't, it was really tough. So just some lessons. Well, that's a good point. Uh, now we are in a place where we have our choice of markets. Just because you live in San Francisco doesn't mean that you can't invest in the US. No, you're a short flight away from multiple markets. But you're right. We do have the ability to pick a market that's great. It's got a great intersection of actually that's something that cash flows and that's growing and has a labor pool. And so there's many markets in the US that are like that. What I like about today's guest, Garrett, is that it opens up the, the world even more because our next guest is Ronan McMahon, and he focuses on investing in real estate internationally like crazy. We've never even talked about investing internationally. He's been doing it for 20 years. In fact, he has a, a newsletter called the Real Estate Trend Alert, where he basically monitors different markets in the world. His argument is that, my gosh, imagine if you could have bought every piece of real estate you know, in 2010, 11, 12, right? People, there's people who did that, who were in a position to do that. And imagine if you could do that all over the world, picking markets that are great markets and that are still recovering from something that has happened there. So I'm really excited to have him on the show today because it really opens up the idea even to us, Garrett. My gosh, why don't we syndicate something in, I don't know, some exotic place that's fun to go to, you know? So I love this. I love this interview here. Let's get right into the uh, the interview with Ronan McMahon. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Rona, welcome to the show today. Lovely to be here, Mike. Lovely to see you and lovely to see you too, Gareth. Yeah, I already love your love your accent, so I'm already sold on that. But I love your column, International Living. It's one of my favorite magazines because it talks about living abroad, you know, and my daughter loves it as well. So I saw you in there, you know, like a few months ago. I was like, daggone it, international real estate. I don't think we've ever talked about that. So it's really awesome to have you here. Give us a little background on yourself. How in the world did you get started with international real estate? Yeah, yeah. So I guess, Michael, as you gathered from the the, the accent, I'm Irish. I guess I got started in real estate in my home home country of Ireland and my home city of Cork, you know, pretty soon out of college. You know, that pretty kind of standard route, you know, did a finance degree, went into the corporate world and, you know, started buying and to some extent flipping some some homes. Um, you know, I got in at a moment in in Ireland where, you know, Ireland was just on this stratospheric trajectory of economic transformation and, you know, real estate value soaring. Everything was up, 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 up. And then, you know, at a point kind of two things are 
a, a convergence of events kind of hit me at the once. Um, I got very drained of or tired or disinterested in the corporate world. And I started looking around for, for other opportunities. And it became apparent to me that Ireland was looking very fragile, very frothy, just values were just too high. You know, this was the, the peak of the Celtic tiger. You know, I was getting offers for homes that I had bought, you know, 18 months Two, two, three years previous for multiples of what I paid. Valuations didn't make any sense. And then I started talking to the guys at International Living, and this was back kind of late 2003. And they were based out of, and still are based out of Waterford, which is a little city in the Southeast of Ireland. And they said, well, why don't you strap on your boots? You know, we, we need someone on the ground in Panama and Nicaragua and Brazil. So within two weeks of starting, I was in Panama and I was on the road and pretty much have been on the road ever since. That is amazing. So what did they ask you to do? Like, what did you end up doing when you're in these uh, foreign places? Yeah. So initially it was to identify real estate projects that would be suitable for international living readers to, to consider buying into. So initially it was looking primarily at markets and developments and then maybe inviting developers or marketing groups to come and participate in international living conferences and events. Since 2008, I've been writing my own publication, which is published by International Living, called Real Estate Trend Alert. And that's a, a much deeper dive on big macro ideas, you know, places where we can buy by getting out ahead of major events, big path of progress events, um, opportunities to buy in crisis situations. Um, so we take a much deeper dive identify places where where there is opportunity and then drill down on the, the best way to, to to play those opportunities. So why even consider international real estate? I mean, you could arguably say U.S. has the best real estate market and has been the best real estate market, with the exception, of course, of 2008. But why should someone consider even investing in international real estate? Yeah, yeah. So, Michael, I mean, my take is that if you think back through your lifetime, you know, if you look at maybe what are the biggest buying moments, biggest buying moments plus places. So, you know, you think back, say, you know, you were in the States in 2010 to 2012, let's say. The thing is, when you go international, a set of circumstances like that is at play somewhere always. So when the world is your oyster, you can really identify places with, you know, really, really significant upside potential and coming at those big buying moments. And then the second idea is that, you know, let's say I go to the States. I mean, I'm competing with a gazillion other guys like, like you. You know, you take your your capital and your smarts and your know-how and you bring them to another market. It's a thinner playing field in a way that we can we can work we can work to our advantage. So but you you also have to learn a lot probably in the structuring and you know the the financing side and all of those metrics. 
how do you speed up the learning curve in that instance? So let's say, you know, you find a deal and it's in Zimbabwe. Okay. And there's a whole another land that you don't understand and you have to get caught up on that. What are you guys doing to kind of speed that up? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what we do, you know, me and my team, we're, we're on the road, you know, we're, we're learning, you know, so, I mean, I guess we've created this kind of body of institutional knowledge that means that when, when we go into a market and, you know, when we make recommendations to our readers, you know, that they have the benefit of, of that research. In your case, Gareth, what you would need to do, you know, say as an individual, maybe looking for bigger scale deals is to find a trusted partner on the ground. So this is a beat where, you know, you're going to want to bring very specific know-how, but you need that local knowledge. You need that understanding of, of how things work. Now, by and large, you know, you can go to places that are pretty simple, one step removed from from your core market. So, for example, I spend about four to five months of my year in, in Cabo San Lucas. So that is a market that's extremely Americanized. It's a market where, you know, English is pretty much the, the business language. I won't say very well, it, it is a very familiar environment. And your tenants too will will likely be American. So, you know, let's say you were doing a deal in Cabo San Lucas, you might look for an apartment complex where you would do a mix of maybe short-term vacation rentals and some longer-term rentals to remote workers or expats looking for a base for, for six or nine months. So you're not making too dramatic a step away from your home beat. On the financing side, forget it. You know, you're going to need for, for deals like this, you're going to need to come with with capital, but yields can be can be stellar. You know, I, I looked at a building in Cabo San Lucas just about three and a half years ago, and you know that could throw off north of twenty percent gross yield. So if you buy right, find the right thing. Frequently, you'll you'll need to add a bit of of value by doing some improvements, but it's a place where where your capital can really, really go a long way. Okay, so if I hear you correct, you're not you can't really bank on using uh, bank debt, I guess, right? So that that leverage component is gone. So you have to search for opportunities where the yield is much higher to kind of offset that. Does that sound accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. So particularly if you're coming from an environment like the US at the moment, where maybe yields are compressing, where capital is available, you know, this might be a moment where, you know, you might think, hey, maybe I should be moving a bit of it, moving a bit of it over here. So what are some of the markets you like right now? And why do you like those markets? Like, talk a little bit about the criteria you're look looking because you said there's always a market that's recovering somewhere in the world, which is interesting, right? If I could go back to 2010 and buy up everything I could in, in the U.S., which lasted two or three, whatever, maybe even more years, but then it gets a little more competitive and I can rotate into another uh, possibly equally stable market that's just recovering from something. That's a very interesting idea. Uh, so what are some of the markets that you're looking at right now? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm talking to you here right now from Portugal. I live part-time north of Lisbon. A market I really like for investing is the right opportunities in the Algarve. And the Algarve is that southern strip of Portugal. It's, you know, absolutely fabulous, pretty much year-round weather, a really, really attractive tourism destination, primarily for, for Europeans. But it's it's also really started to attract remote workers. You know, the whole impact of what's happened over the past couple of years has been incredibly dramatic for places like Portugal's Algarve, where, where people who have the flexibility to work from home are being absolutely sucked in, choosing it as their base. A place like Portugal has this kind of very broad base of incentives to attract mobile people, very low tax rates, route to citizenship. So, you know, I'm here as someone who's a beneficiary of that program. But what's really interesting about Portugal and Spain to a lesser extent as well, is that there's still some overhang distressed inventory from the last crisis. So in Europe, this whole process just works phenomenally grindingly slow. So it can take kind of 10 or 15 years for, for a full bankruptcy to kind of spit out inventory that can be bought. So still in the Algarve, you can buy some bank foreclosures in best in class communities. And, you know, again, with the right kind of rigor or with the, the right level of discipline to kind of going through their spreadsheets and, you know, giving the time to, to, to vet the properties, you can get some, some phenomenal deals. So the right deals in Portugal, a couple of pockets in Mexico, I'm extremely bullish on Tulum on the southern edge of the, the Riviera Maya on the Caribbean side and Cabo on the Pacific side. Both are at the kind of at the advance of these massive increases in air connectivity. People are coming in their absolute droves, again, driven by kind of work, work from home flexibility. So, you know, at the height of the pandemic, you had long term rentals in Tulum, you know, doubling in doubling in price over a six month period. The place has been completely maxed out. And what's really, really interesting now in both those places is that you've got the, the return of older vacationers, you know, Europeans are starting to travel again. So you're at a situation where this kind of work from home cohort have pretty much sucked up all the inventory. And now you've you've tourists arriving in, in big numbers on, on top of that. So then Panama is, is also a, a very, very interesting market. Two, two big ideas out of Panama. One is that there's an emerging scarcity at the, the higher end of the market. So Panama is a major global hub city. So it's got the canal, you know, five to six percent of, of world trade touches Panama, but it's also got this very significant financial services hub, you know, multinationals choose Panama as, as their regional base. So it's a big banking trade and, and corporate hub. And there's an emerging scarcity at the, the higher end of the market, but 
prices in Panama are like just a fraction of, of what you'd pay in other major hub major hub cities like you know 350 400 dollars per foot at the at the high end at the top end of the market and then very interestingly outside of the city as part of a response to the pandemic the government announced this incredible tax break which basically allows investors and developers to offset a huge percentage of their their construction costs so there's a tax break which applies to developers but which we've been able to and that's my real estate trend alert group use that to negotiate these extra discounts for for our readers and for, for our subscribers so i think the, the big kind of unifying theme to the markets that i like is internationalized places that continue to suck people and money into them in good times and bad and you know we we saw the same trend emerging after the last crisis you know after the after the the, the last crash you know these places like the costa del sol in spain like the algarve like playa del carmen in mexico whenever there's flux these places just attract people, they attract money, and those are the types of markets I like when we can, when we can buy cheap. When we go to buy a property, typically we try to strategically buy other assets around that property because it just adds to our economies of scale, it makes it easier to operate these investments. So I wouldn't, right now, we wouldn't just go buy, you know, a 20 unit in the middle of Alabama or in the middle of uh, you know Oklahoma or we're not near anything because it would just create operational inefficiencies. How do you go into a new market like this, especially you have so many that are segmented all over the world and create those kind of operational efficiencies? And then how do you scale? Yeah. So I guess somewhat my business and my investments and what we do for our readers are somewhat different to you guys in that what what we do as a group is that you know on behalf of our membership i go to the big developers who who have that scale and say hey over here we've got this group and give us pre-release access to you know the first hundred units we'll take them in an afternoon and we expect a 17 or an 18 percent discount so that's the way our business works from the perspective of you guys you know what i would suggest is the route would be via via land options because in in many of these places, you know, and I think specifically as an example of this building in Cabo San Lucas, which I mentioned earlier, you know, that was surrounded by, that was a distressed seller. It was surrounded by, by land owned by the same seller. So I would, to protect and secure my upside, I'd be looking for for options as part of the deal on the adjoining land and make a success of that first 20 unit building and then move into the land. But at this point, you have a certain amount of scale in some of these countries. You're, you're talking about, you know, 100 condos or 100 uh, houses. So your engagement model typically is to engage with developers and, and you especially syndicate a certain uh, purchasing a certain number of those people. Is that typically your, your business model is, is partnering with it with developers? 
Exactly. So, I mean, we, we all buy individually, so we all buy individual condos, but I sit down with the developer and say, hey, over here, give us access to this deal, these terms, give us developer financing, give us a low down payment, give us a big discount, give us access to our choice of inventory, and we will take the first you know, 100 units, which might be 30, 25 or 30 percent of, of your project. All right. So it sounds like uh, this was your point earlier. When you're coming in uh, to a foreign country, it's a little bit like buying out of the, our own area. You got you got to have certain boots on the ground. Now, if I'm going from one U.S. city to another, well, okay, the legality is going to be very very similar. So I don't need to pay attention to that. But what are some of the things that uh, foreigners would have to pay attention to when they go into a foreign country? I know, for example, you briefly looked at some some land in Mexico. One of the issues with buying any kind of real estate in Mexico was always, according to these guys, is the titling of it because you're actually not even sure if who's selling you the property actually could sell you the property. And it was this clouded title and you may or may not actually own what you just bought. But what are some of the things, uh, considerations that we as foreigners coming in have to pay attention to? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'd say generally, you know, title issues are pretty rare once you have a proper lawyer. You know, in, in Mexico near the coast, you buy through a fideicomiso, which is a trust, but it's perfectly legal and secure. So, you know, there are a lot of horror stories about people falling the victims of land scams and all that. And that's very tragic, but they more often than not were, you know, were scammed by someone from their home country who, you know, bought them a load of beers and they didn't do full proper due diligence rigor. The big thing to watch is who you do business with. And what we've learned and what I've learned after kind of two decades of, of doing this is you want to partner with locals like almost exclusively all our core relationships are with locals they're with locals who've been in the business in that place in nearly every case for multiple generations so the typical profile of a partner that we work with in cabo or in tulum the first generation started building hotels in cancun in the 70s and the 80s then they started buying land ahead of the path of progress. Now you've got a younger generation that's more innovative and creative and kind of understands us when we talk about, you know, the synergies that, that, that we bring to the table. But they're rooted in the community. They've weathered all the various crises that have hit. They, they have a very impressive land bank. They know how to do land deals. They know how to do business with each party on the political spectrum, and they're rooted in their community. And that means that if, if they have a problem and they have to show their face at church or at school, you know, these are the things. The, the big issues that I've, I've observed have been mostly foreign fly-by-night developers who come in with a slick promise, and it just doesn't materialize or frequently those people you know, many of them arrive with the best of intentions, but they arrive late. They arrive into a, a hot market. They overpay for land. They don't really understand how things work. They get their numbers wrong and it becomes problematic. 
what recourse do you have on that kind of a situation? <laughs> just, just out of curiosity, I'm sure you've, you've limited, seen it. Gareth, <laughs> limited, limited. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. I mean, here's the the reality in you know the the court systems. It, it's it's very interesting. It's a very interesting question because the under the kind of the American model, contracts mean a lot because. You know, if you have a problem, you have a process and lawyers pour over contracts. Our contracts, you know, of course, are important, but really what's most important is a kind of a, it's almost like a handshake and a commitment in in principle. And um, we've been very, very, very fortunate to have no significant issues if you're stuck in the court system in a country like like Mexico, I mean, best case scenario, it will take decades, you know, worst case scenario, you're, you're completely wasting your time. But, uh, but it's, it's actually, there, there, there've been, you know, there've been quite kind of sophisticated academic studies that have kind of looked at the differences between how people do business in countries where there's very weak court systems and versus in, let's call it the, the American model, where there's contracts and lots of lawsuits and, you know, relationships in these more, let's call it handshake countries tend to be longer and stronger. But obviously, if you have a problem, it could manifest itself in in a situation where you feel like you where you feel like and maybe don't have any real, real recourse. Yeah. And so in America, you know, if, if someone's going to go into it, like we deal with Americans, obviously, is that that's where our investments or investors come from. But there's a whole line of red tape if we want to take international investments. So how do you navigate that, you know, going into a new country, helping, do they all know how to navigate that? Or do you have to kind of handhold them? And then how do you figure that out? Yeah. So red tape in terms of things like SEC just, filings? Or- yeah, just every, everything that comes with doing foreign business, I guess, right? So if we wanted to take investments from Europe or China, there's a whole different legal process that that has to do with that. So you're almost having to figure out, you know, both sides, I guess, going into a new country. Yeah. Okay, how do they work? And then how can they accept international money? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it, you know, it, it varies very, very significantly in, in my experience, and the, the vast majority of our readers are, are American as well, but in, in, in my experience, in terms of taking investment, the, the, the US is, the US and Canada are pretty much the, the, most, the most regulated. What we do, the, the business that I'm in, we connect developers with individual condos. So the kind of the, the, the regulatory issues don't come into play because you as a member are buying an individual condo. It's just kind of negotiated as part of a group deal that you can participate in or not, but you, you're buying buying an individual condo. So I would think that if you were to, to look internationally, you'd probably bring US money you know, somewhere overseas, in which case the kind of the regulatory environment that would apply would be the, the US. Again, not, not a lawyer, all that caveats, but in the market you're investing in, 
I, I wouldn't envisage any kind of significant regulatory issues. There are things, you know, there, there are things that you'd want to be really, really kind of mindful of, like, like holding title in Mexico can, can bring a, a lot of liability, like say, God forbid, you know, something happens in a property that you hold title to, and maybe you're renting it, or maybe you're financing it, or maybe you're some part of the deal, but you're holding title, you know, and God forbid there's an accident or something bad happens, you know, you can be on the hook for, for a big problem. So you, you, you do have kind of different challenges that, you know, you might think, great to have title for security, but it can come with, with other liability considerations. So the US is always in the kind of general world that, that I operate, the US regulatory environment is always the, the, the big one that becomes a consideration. All right, uh, talk a little bit about how people can find out more about you and your real estate trend alert, Ronan. Realestatetrendalert.com forward slash free book. Give us the I've I think that's right that the marketing people gave me a link to call out, and there we've a special offer. I think seven dollars ninety nine, and we'll post you a free book and give you a thirty day trial to to Real Estate Trend Alert. That is fantastic, guys. Consider interesting internationally with uh, with Ronan McMahon. It's great having you on the show today, Ronan. Lovely chatting with you guys. That was fun, huh? Something a little different. Investing Tulum, Panama City. Portugal? Come on, let's go. <laughs> Man, I'm always interested in this kind of topic because the we're in the US, we think about that's really all we we consider, but there's real estate everywhere and it's happening. There's deals happening everywhere, right? And so you bring someone like this in that can kind of give perspective on how to do that a little bit. And I thought what was what was fairly interesting is that he's going after deals and you can't use really any leverage. So you got to find deals that spit off incredible returns. Super interesting. Well, and you're, you're also diversifying. I mean, the U.S. economy is super strong and we think it's going to take strong. But oh my gosh, it took a major beating in 2008. And, uh, you know, there's also diversification. And you know, there's talk about devaluation of the dollar, inflation, all that kind of stuff. You know, so it might make some sense. Plus, it gives you a fun place to go to, right? I mean, Atlanta, where we have our properties it's sort of fun. It's not really very exotic. You know, this might be something something to do. And now there are considerations, but I think the key is, and we talked about investing out of area, the key to investing out of area is a strong team on the ground. In our case, in the US, we just need a proper manager. In, in Rowan's case, he partners locally with developers that have been there for, he says, multiple generations. And not only that, it would be, I think it would be challenging for someone like us to co, co to, if we wanted to invest in there, to get into that market and, and build a relationship with those people. We could do that. It would take a lot of time. What would be better, for example, is to partner with someone like Ronan and use his relationships to build those relationships. I think the point is when you're investing out of area or internationally, you got to do it through trusted operators. Yeah. I mean, the operations is really what it's about at the end of the day. You know, you can put a, put numbers on paper all you want, but but it has to be about those operators and going into a, a really a different country. I'm sure there's a really deep vetting process that he goes through in order to make sure he's selecting the right operators that will will actually perform. Like he said, there's not a lot of recourse on the instance that something goes sideways, so he really has to value that. And I like the fact that you know he's been doing it for 20 years and 
is able to go in and vet these these people and then and then actually make money with them it's such a cool thing because then you can like you said you can chase down uh different markets where there's actually uh a different sort of path of progress so one thing he mentioned quite a bit about was hey you want to find you know areas with great trends in population and travel we're doing similar things by the way in the us he's just figured it out in another country and you know talked about how important the path of progress is yeah so definitely check him out uh you can find him at real estate trend alert we'll put the uh, url in the show notes about that uh, free ebook uh, so if you want to invest internationally, definitely check him out. If you want to invest in the U.S. in multifamily, then we would love to talk with you. Uh, our investment company is called Nighthawk Equity. Go to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button, and you can set a call with us. We'd love to talk to you about uh, some of our upcoming investment opportunities. So hope you guys found that useful. Expands your mind and horizons. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash blueprint to get the free training.